This is the Coach Mike Podcast. I am so excited because I have the superstar Jessica Simpson as our first guest to kick things off. Cannot get better than that. That is very exciting. I feel very honored. First. First. I'm your first? First. (laughs) So welcome to the Coach Mike Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I feel privileged. Thank you. Because I heard that this is the only podcast you're doing for Open Book as of now. I mean, as of now, it's definitely my first. <laughs> but, and, I, and I love podcasts, so especially inspirational ones. Yeah, and I love your book. <laughs> and your you. book, your book could have been 20 books. It really could. I mean, it really could. It, if it was a buffet, be. it would be the real buffet. <laughs> it's got so much to it. It does. It does. And it's um, everything from jokes uh, to jumping for Jesus to, <laughs> to sadness to mm-hmm. you getting really honest. And uh, I really appreciate you writing this book. It's going to help millions of people. I and, really uh, hope so. I really hope so. Thank you. And being that you didn't have to do this, mm-hmm. you didn't have to write a book. Why'd you do it? Well, in my heart, I felt like I had to. <laughs> okay. Um, it really was like, for me, I just wanted um my words out there to be understood. I wanted like as a person, you know, that's on a platform, I wanted to be able to use my voice and use my mistakes and use the pain and show that there's beauty on the other side. And I just wanted to be as authentic and as real and human as possible because you know, that's what the reality show had done for me. Like I was basically like sitting on the couch with everybody in their homes. Right. And and I realized that that's what people really want from me. They want the honest truth and they, they want that vulnerability from and me. Was there anything that you, you were like, this cannot go in the book? You initially wrote it and then you're like. No, no, I, I was pretty honest about everything. Right. Um, there was nothing in my life and I, you know, um, not in my past relationships, but like with, you know, my parents and everybody, everybody was like all my friends, they were reading chapters as they were being written. And right. I just wanted to make sure that the people in my life were being protected and that they felt, you know, connected to it, which they did. And there was nothing that they needed to take out. So yeah. that made me feel good. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm sober myself, so I'm coming up on 18 years. Congratulations. Thank you. And I own a treatment center mm-hmm. uh, for the past 14. It's called That's Cast amazing. Centers. Wow. And uh, what I admire is I always say recovery is a loose garment. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a different fit. Yeah. Talk to me about your fit. My fit um, was a lot of therapy. Mm. Um, For me, giving up the alcohol was the easy part because I was mad at it. Um, I didn't realize for so long that it was actually blinding me in so many ways. And it was having me cover up and like a lot of things in my life and not being honest with myself. And it was causing actually more anxiety that I thought I was trying to suppress. And so when I came to that like realization Mm. um, that it actually kept me very stuck in um, in a very, you know, dark place that I could not get out of. Once I freed myself from it, I was mad at it and I was done with it. 
So really just sticking with the therapy and using the tools that I have for anxiety, which are like going on long walks with my husband and just like he has no judgment um, just as a therapist would. Um, I just kind of just ramble thoughts and he lets them go and um, just somehow he can like let I let me talk without a filter and no judgment. Yeah. And And he he loves me for me and he loves me for my vulnerability and my bravery and my honesty. And um, if my perspective is off on things, you know, he knows how to help me get back on the right track into my thought process and to the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing and to not have discouragement. So what what's something that you and Eric, because I I've met your husband mm-hmm. and he's great. He is. He is a, a superstar in your life. Yes, he is. He is the superstar. He is the in my superstar life. in your life. So what what do you love about him as a father? As a father, I mean, it's sexy as heck, I will say. Um, he is, I mean, he gives his all, even when he's exhausted somehow, like he like our son is always like dad 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 constantly right and and somehow it just never frustrates eric you know he's just very calm and he understands that he's needed and um he knows how to be present with the children and he knows how to teach them like how did you like the thing is how did you i know your opening night when you met but if you look at the series of relationships you had Mm -hmm. and then you end up with eric yeah (laughs) Like I, how, I for, some... for, for, for anyone out there who's, you know, they, they'll say, oh, I had the wrong picker. I'm not picking the right people. Well, why maybe you you're th- not. Maybe you aren't. <laughs> maybe you aren't. But how did um, this. Yeah. I mean, for me, I thought that I wanted I I was attracted to saving people. Mm. And I being a preacher's daughter and always being a leader in my life and to my calling and being on a public platform, I always felt like you know, I was attracted to people that needed light and that they were dark and all they needed was some faith and um, some understanding of of how to be happy. And I thought that I could bring that into, into a, relationship. a relationship. But I realized that we could only do that for ourselves. It took me a long time to realize it. And it took me a lot of heartbreak. Even Was there a moment of clarity for you when you realized that? Um, well, I just... I realized that I wasn't being loyal to myself, that I was losing my light, that I was giving away too much of my light to cover their darkness and they were taking it from me. And um, when I felt myself all of a sudden with the lights dim, I was lost and um, I needed to find my way back to myself. And for me, um, before I met Eric, I had to just disconnect from all the heartbreak in my life and disconnect from the people that, you know, I felt needed saving and look inward and learn how to really love and appreciate myself for who I am and the woman that I want to be. So what do you just jump in on that? What do you love to do with Eric the most? uh, Well, I mean, we're, we're best friends. So, I mean, it's anything. It's, it's anything. It's literally like we could binge watch something yeah. and like or we could watch like an amazing documentary and even have different views and like, you know, talk about it and then somehow end up 
having the same view, right? <laughs> you know, and because we really listen to each other. And I think that's really important in relationships. If, if you're doing all the talking, mm. you know, you're not listening to another person's perspective and um, vice versa. So I think that, you know, if you find a partner that you really want to listen to and that really is saying something that's meaningful and right. coming from the same place that you're coming from, um, it makes conversation a beautiful thing. Right. Um, that that's very powerful in our life. And we are just connected like mind, body and soul. And um, that I never had with anyone that like spiritual connection through even like lovemaking, making babies kind of love right. and um, just through amazing conversation and through um, just being there for each other no matter what and loving each other just as much as we did the day we met. Like I, somehow it was just like immediate. And I, I, that's what I love about your story is, you know, there's a lot of people listening who struggle, mm -hmm. who've, who've maybe been in relationships that haven't worked out and they start to internalize it and blame themselves. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you're in a relationship with a man mm -hmm. who you deeply love, he deeply loves you. He quit drinking the day you quit yes, drinking. He did. And uh, is there anything you miss about the days? Like I know for me, not that I miss being mm -hmm. a hot mess, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't, but it's like, there's certain moments, right? Mm -hmm. There's certain triggers we have. You know, for people who quit smoking, it could be after a cup of coffee. Right. Or is there any moments for you where you're like, oh gosh, I kind of miss it? No. Never. Not yet. I mean, and it's almost two and a half years. Wow. So. And do you still have, so you described that you always drink out of a sparkle cup. Well, yeah, I make everything fancy. Right. It wasn't to hide it. I was never the person that would like hide their drinks. I mean, I would tell people that I was pouring. But it, like the, 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 the sparkle cups have like an RIP party where it was like. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. Are there still yes. sparkle cups in the house? No, there is they're, not. Oh, they're gone. Yeah, they're gone. Because you cleared out the alcohol and the sparkle and cup. And the sparkle That's cups. awesome. Yeah, because I You had got rid of all of it. Anything that would like remind yep. me of that, like it would just bring me down. Yeah. So I had to rid myself of it completely. But, you know, once I started being comfortable in it, then I was fine. You know, I, I one thing that I didn't like um, while getting sober was that everybody was so weird around me they were like uh like they couldn't be themselves right. i'm like please have the drink i don't want it i promise <laughs> yeah. you know and but they were trying to be supportive but they were also like tiptoeing so around weird. me but i am very conscious of that and so when somebody's not being themselves around me it makes me feel uncomfortable right. so really that makes me feel more uncomfortable i'd much rather people be drinking around me than not because yeah. i want them to be authentic and be themselves and not change to be around me because that that for me it just feels like they're pitying me in mm -hmm. some way and so um now we have parties at our house and we still have alcohol and that type of thing but um for me it's never been something that i've wanted to go back to do you celebrate your two years sober do you have like, no i don't sober have like coins or i, I don't even you don't I know have a the sober date. party. I, I don't have a sober party, but I couldn't tell you. I know it's like something like two and a half years, but yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah, I don't have like that reminder. Like at the beginning, it was like, oh my gosh, it's been 30 days, right. or oh my gosh, can't believe it. You're like, oh, okay, this is what they're talking about at 90 days or right. something. But then I lost track. <laughs> right. And did, um, what's the biggest surprise to being a mom? Well, being a mother is very, you know, challenging. It is because you want to be 
the best that you possibly can be. And you want to, you have to bite your tongue sometimes and you have to, you know, you know, you have to like get on their level to really understand. But really, I think our children are so much wiser than us. You know, if I could go back to being a child and having that childlike faith, and that's what I've tried to rediscover through my journey of sobriety is all the the childlike faith that I have without the judgment, because I grew up very Southern Baptist. But because um, so I, I didn't start drinking until I was 21. So I was legal, right. you know, um, and then my like my parents or any like we, we didn't drink at all. Yeah. Um, so when we did, then it was like, you know, the, I mean, it just kind of all like started to escalate and we were having fun. And and Eric and I like we had a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm I'm not mad at our experiences together and we were madly in love with each other through it all but i have to say that sex is so much better sober right. you <laughs> can remember it more. Can your remember partner it. can function yes the breath is better the breath is way better and the <laughs> movements aren't as sloppy no no <laughs> this is jess betancourt the host of dna id the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy dna id goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime solving tool how it works how cases are selected why the cases were unsolved for so long and how the justice system is addressing it i include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward no-nonsense delivery you can find dna id on any podcast platform episodes come out weekly on mondays you you got really honest why why did you feel the need to um to talk about all the events that happened in your child what's your hope by talking about the events in your child about sexual abuse yeah um well i um was about five or six when it started and um it was with um, a girl that was my age who was actually being abused um, in a much more intense way. Um, but I tried to protect her through it, even though I was being abused. And I really wanted to speak out about it as a parent because I, it's very important to know that some of the closest people in your life you need to keep a watch on mm. because you don't know what's happening in other people's families. Yeah. And um, it was, I really wanted to speak on it because my daughter is at the age where I was being, you know, sexually abused and, and I can't even imagine that happening to her. And I just wanted mothers and fathers to realize that, you know, it can happen to anyone, even though you think you're fiercely protecting them. Um, it just sometimes can happen when you don't, when the lights are off. What do you think the signs are? Um, for a parent to know, you know, kind of for a parent to know, I think that you have to talk to your children about it. I think that it's Mm. important to say that nobody should be touching you in this way. Um, if they ever come at you and say you want to play doctor or you want, you know, this is, this is not a, a good situation to be in. Yeah. You always have to tell mommy and daddy if somebody ever tries to touch you. And I know that's an uncomfortable thing for some parents to talk to their children about, but the earlier you talk to your children about it, the the easier it is for them to be honest with you. Well, you talked about when you told your parents, which it seems like it was really uncomfortable for them, 
even though you won yes. fifteen hundred dollars. I, I did. I, I won the lottery right <laughs> after I told it. <laughs> Will you to, tell that story parents, of what I, happened? I could have told them earlier, but I I waited until I was twelve, and it was just all oh, so much shame, and I was just. It had gone on for six years. It had gone on for six years, and I just couldn't. I wasn't strong enough to handle it anymore, mm. and I knew it needed to stop. And um, I was feeling guilty about it. And being a preacher's daughter, like I didn't know that if uh, that I thought my parents would be like, you know, you know, I thought it was a sin. I thought I was going to go to hell or something. You right. know, oh, yeah. um, so it's terrifying. Yeah, and I lived in this like glass fishbowl as a child. And you were probably feeling guilty. Like, what did I was you feeling do guilty or? because it was like a lot of, you know, it was a lot of like sexual things, sexual feelings that no child should be going through. And I didn't want my parents to feel guilt, but there came a time where I had to stand up for myself. And um, my parents really didn't know what to say. And my sister was in the car with us, she had her headphones on. And I'm just kind of the person that blurts something out. Right. <laughs> and I, um, I just said it like yeah. I was just like, OK, like, God, give me the strength. You and know? why that day? Like what was it just a build it up where you're like, happened. I need to. It just happened. Mm -hmm. But this time it was like enough this time is enough. it was d very, very dark. And I just felt um, pinned down and I felt anxious and I I didn't know what to do. And it was time to tell my parents because I knew that they would stop it. In that moment, I was old enough to realize that it wasn't my fault. And um, my parents were strong enough to realize that it that they could stop it. And yeah. um, in the moment that I told them, they didn't say anything, but their they immediately, their actions took, you know, they took over and I never was there again. And um, that's- Were you all. hoping they talked to you about it at that time? Were you hoping no, they kind of- No, because- it it was uncomfortable and um I, I i wouldn't have had it any other way i mean this was definitely the way for me and the best way my parents could handle it mm -hmm. was to take me away from it and i and if i were to i wish i were to have known sooner that that's all that it took mm -hmm. you know was to just talk openly about it to my parents right. you know and that they weren't it wasn't about judgment and that i could be honest and um i mean i was 12 years old so i was a little bit older than when i was confused when i was six or seven yeah i mean you're you're so brave to talk about it most you didn't need to include it in your book you didn't have to tell that story because it's like you have a lot of stories yeah i have a and lot you of chose, stories you chose to put in a story mm -hmm. that a lot of people feel shame and guilt around and they still hold on to it and that's a lot of the reason why people do have issues with substances and they do try to numb themselves from these experiences they've had but i think that once you have clarity on them and once mm -hmm. you can forgive yourself and once you can forgive what's happened to you, you can move forward and try to make a change in other people's lives and find some sort of positivity um, in the pain yeah. and, um, and and know that you can be an advocate for helping others. You, you are an advocate because you. you're taking it from the darkness even of the experience, you're bringing it to the light and that light is what people listen to. Yeah. And people will read your book or hear the story and they're gonna start asking their kids. Mm -hmm. And, and that's good. That's and exactly what I And you're going to have people who now who are older who are going to tell their parents who they're going to go to yes. therapy. Yes, and a lot of the in stores that I've been doing and 
meeting people that weren't even my fans, but just read this one excerpt from the book. They're there and they're they're saying, I'm talking to my daughters about this tonight. And, you know, it's it's really powerful because I've had people come up to me like, I want to tell you that I need to stop drinking before I tell my parents. Mm. And these are grown adults, you know, and it's like, you know, just by me being open, it's allowing people to open their own doors yeah. and to walk through them. And do you feel like since you've gotten sober, the voices around like body image and anxiety, like has that quieted more? It or? definitely is quieted more, but... I mean, I am only human, of mm -hmm. course. I mean, I still have anxiety about things and I still, you know, um, can look in the mirror and not see perfection by any means. Um, and we all, I mean, I'm just like everybody else in that regard and I have to do it publicly. Oh, me, I'm me too. Yeah. So trust me. I mean, yeah. I, but what do you do? What is a What is a kind of tool that you have for dealing with anxiety for yourself? It's really connecting with myself through writing. It's journaling for me has been um, a huge part of understanding myself and forgiving myself. And like I can let words out without judgment over myself. And and the thing is that when we judge ourselves, we close off so much. And I think that um, when we are free to just be open to be who we are, there's so much more acceptance in that, especially nowadays. And, um, you know, it doesn't all have to be hidden and secrets will eat us alive. Secrets and keep us sick. They, they keep us really sick. And I think that once we, you know, you know, talk through those secrets, even if it's talking through them with yourself, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of power in that. And do you think it's just this is a random question I'm, I'm curious about? And then we're going to do the universe decides wheel, which is super random okay. questions. Um, do you think that? um entertainment and the pressures of being in entertainment make it harder for someone to be really honest about their lives um it could but it shouldn't shouldn't it shouldn't because you know you were blessed with the platform that you have for a reason and to use it for something good like activism whatever it may be or leadership or you know openness awareness um, I think that that's the reason why why we are here, like with whether it's with acting and you're moving somebody through a, a movie role mm -hmm. or whether you're writing music and touching people's hearts and pulling them out of the darkness. Um, there's so many ways in which we can inspire others. And any part of the book that you abs I know you probably you love the whole book as another author. I know <laughs> you got, it's, it's like I mean, I've never given birth, but everyone <laughs> says giving yeah. Doing a book is like giving birth. It's a lot. It of, is. It, it feels like I had baby number four really soon after baby number three. And, so. and in baby number four, is there any moment that you're thinking about the book? Like I know when I, I wrote a book, there were certain moments where I was like, I love that part of the book. Do you have anything like that where you're like that part of the book? Well, um, I mean, there's there, there there's a lot of places that make me feel free, you know? Yeah. Um, and one of the times where it was like, where I was just like, I, I'm the kind of person that's like, oh, like, I know that if I just make this decision and follow my heart, that I'll get something in return, right. like no matter what it is. And through my divorce um, uh, a long time ago, I was like, okay, maybe I should have signed a prenup. And mm. um, there's a funny part in the book where it was like, I know that I'll, I will make this back, give or take a billion. 
(laughs) (laughs) And that part just kind of makes me giggle because nobody believed me that I could make that money back. But I was like, trust me, I will make that money back. No, it's unbelievable. The the amount of reinventions you've done in your career are unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Well, I really do have faith in myself, you know, and I really do believe that once we surrender to something to better ourselves that we will get something back Mm. in return it doesn't have to be financial i mean we will get happiness back we will you know or happiness for the first time by Mm. letting go of something and it seems like you have a lot of that happiness through your friends through your family i mean you have a lot of friends i do well you know i really have like a close knit group of friends i mean uh, i am still guarded but um but i'm pretty darn honest you know and and I have always been that way. Um, and I think that's why people can relate to me because they're just like, oh, I go through that too. And right. I love it that she can talk about that. And But she's famous. And, I, you know, it's like it's a really cool thing that people actually connect with me and feel like they're my best friend because I'm sharing with them like they are my best friends. Yeah. Well, let's end this with the wheel. Okay. It's so a universe decides wheel. You basically spin it, and on yeah. it are different things that are just random questions from some fans. Okay. So click spin. Okay. Where's that? Oh, spin it. All right. The question is. One thing worth wine? What does that mean? <laughs> is this called an epic fail on the Coach Mike podcast? I know uh, I just wrote a book, but I just I not th- feel like a I complete I think we eliminate question. that one. <laughs> That definitely was not a complete question. <laughs> Do one, maybe okay, one more spin. Right. No, but you, knowing your luck, you had to choose the one that made absolutely no sense. <laughs> okay, spin it. Oh, no. Do you have a celeb impersonation? Mm, All righty then. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of, Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. All right, and and lo- that was a horrible impersonation. <laughs> I had to look around, but we got it. And last time, one last spin. Okay. All right. What do you TV binge watch? TV binge watch. Hmm. I mean, a lot. <laughs> um, Jessica Simpson TV watch binge watches with her husband. Oh, with my husband? Mm. I don't know if he would want to be counted in that. <laughs> um, he normally falls asleep during binge watching. Oh, okay. Um, oh, gosh, what do I binge watch? I mean, I watch a lot of doctor shows, so I feel like I could save a lot of lives. Got it. So yeah. doctor shows are your vibe. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I know that I, I mean, I, 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 I am very knowledgeable because I use a lot of these things that I learned from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate you making the time to come on the coach mike podcast it was a pleasure talking to you thank you i really appreciate it nice and, uh, nice to talk to bye you too. Jessica and thank Simpson's you for book. all that you do for so many people thank you so much yes. open book check it out <laughs> buy it i say it all with with a smile all right no Thanks. i do cry a lot if you get the audio book <laughs> no i know I I, I I feel like i should have put um like a disclaimer in there or something that that says like pull over now you know, like, cause you're going to cry. <laughs> if you're going to read the book, certain chapters, you don't want to be in a coffee shop no. in your home. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> Thank you.
So I just sat down with Jessica Simpson, and you heard that interview, and I am so impressed with her honesty. And to be honest, I never thought that I would be interviewing someone like a Jessica Simpson or on next week's episode like a Dr. Phil. That was way beyond what I ever thought, was not on my vision board. And I got to say, I feel pretty blessed and appreciative to be able to share that moment with Jessica today. You know, like Jessica, I'm also sober. And I grew up in Orange County, California, and grew up in a sports family. I thought that I was eventually going to have a sports career, but the problem was I had a lot of emotional issues. I struggled with depression, anxiety, self-esteem. My parents started sending me to therapy. And before you know it, I started getting addicted to drugs. And before you know it, I dropped out of school, became addicted to crystal meth, which some of you maybe have done meth, but my guess is a lot of you haven't. But once I got sober, I became a counselor and I did everything I could to be a better version of myself. And at the time, I thought I lost everything. Having three jobs, no idea how people in this world actually had successful careers or lives. I felt completely lost. And so I did what anyone would do is I put one foot in front of the other. Before you know it, I started doing interventions and I started traveling the world. And all of a sudden, people really wanted me. They thought I was really good. I would have done it for free. I just happened to get paid. And that's what made it so purposeful and incredible to me. Eventually, I started working with entertainers. And then I got an idea to start a treatment center. And I started out of my apartment in Venice. It was a dinky apartment where I had random people showing up who I would help for free. And eventually, that dinky apartment became a full-on treatment center that I've now had for 14 years, and I'm a business owner. I also started to get requested by a lot of people all over the world, me, this recovering drug addict who literally had no vision for himself at all. So I started being flown out by entertainers and celebrities and executives and business owners, and they all wanted me. They wanted my help, and really what my gift is is freeing people to be a better version of themselves. That's what makes me tick. When I see somebody's lights turn on, it feels so freaking good. And that's what I hope to do by providing this podcast to you, is help you feel aligned, help your lights tick on, because I see it with the people even I'm sitting down with, like Dr. Phil and Jessica Simpson. So eventually I worked with these entertainers and I, for whatever reason, just wasn't feeling fulfilled. I felt like something was missing in my life and I didn't know what, it just wasn't feeling amazing. And so I did what anyone would do is I started going to Iraq. And the last time I went to Iraq, I went alone. I went to Kurdistan, Iraq. I went to Dahuk. And I was searching for purpose, because when we're confused in life, what happens is we often don't know what our purpose is. We're completely confused. We don't know why we're freaking here on this planet. Everything looks so good around us, but what the hell, or what the heck, or whatever you wanna call it, what do you wanna do with it? And so I would go to these refugee camps and I'd meet with these women whose husbands were killed by ISIS, their daughters were being sex trafficked uh, out in Syria. Their sons had seen their dad shot in front of them. And all of a sudden, I realized that I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do something about what I saw. And so on my flight back to Los Angeles, I got excited. I was going to get everyone on board. Everyone was going to help me do what I felt was the work that needed to be done to help people who needed help. 
And to my surprise, I couldn't get anyone on board. I couldn't get celebrities on board because it was too polarizing to be representing that they were trying to help somewhere in the Middle East. I couldn't get my affluent friends on board and these people and clients I'd worked with for years because they had other causes that were important. And this was in March 2018, around then, I made a decision. I said, I'm no longer going to have celebrities or famous people try to do good in the world. I'm going to be my own vehicle to do good in the world. And all of a sudden, life opened up for me. It opened up really quickly, where a few weeks later, I met someone that you may have heard of. His name's Dr. Phil. And Dr. Phil and I sat down on the Paramount lot at a restaurant, and we had lunch. And before you know it, he asked me to come on an episode three days later. I'd never been on television before. I'd never been in the public eye. And boy, it's been a roller coaster for the last two years. And why you're talking to me right now is that decision I made where I was making a decision out of purpose, that my purpose was to do for good and elevate my own platform to do for good. So you'll notice as we go through the podcast on the Coach Mike podcast, I'm going to start to be asking different folks what are the causes that they get behind and how it's not, never too soon or too late to start elevating good causes that are going on in this world and people going from darkness to light. I'm choosing people that truly inspire me, that I think are in the public eye, or it could be everyday people that I'm deeply curious about. And Jessica coming on as the first episode and Dr. Phil next week has been incredible for me because it's two brave individuals who truly have trailblazed their way into teaching us some incredible tools for living. A big thing with Jessica was uh, about getting fully honest and how secrets keep us sick. And for anyone that knows anyone that's struggling with a mental health issue or an addiction issue, the first step to getting sober or changing is honesty. And then you need to become open to a new way of doing it. And then you need to become willing. And there's two things that cause alcoholics or drug addicts to relapse. When you say, oh, why did they go out? Why aren't they sober anymore? There's two reasons. One is their secrets because secrets keep you sick, just like Jessica was saying. So bringing it to the light, even though it's so scary, is a way of releasing yourself of the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the blame, and using it for good. And the other is resentment. It's actually what we say is the number one offender to someone drinking again is resentment, because it's essentially drinking poison and expecting someone else to die, and it will eat you up if you don't figure out a way to relieve yourself of resentment. Like someone with diabetes, who needs to take insulin in order not to get sick, for an alcoholic who's truly an alcoholic, if they take that first drink, that's going to lead to a life that is gonna be disastrous for them. And so the way to not have resentment around what you can or cannot do is to accept the things you cannot change. If you can't accept the things you cannot change, you will be resentful. It sucks, but sometimes you have to realize I got to change within myself. It's not about that person, place, or thing that I've been blaming that's making me feel a certain type of way. There's a, in, in the Alcoholics Big Book, which is kind of like the textbook of sobriety that most people subscribe to, uh, there's a saying in it in kind of the preamble that says some people are constitutional, constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. And the people that I've found that... Um, have the biggest challenge with staying sober are the ones that just cannot get honest. And so, um, you know, the fact that Jessica is being honest to the best of her ability 
and she's not drinking speaks a lot as to why she's sober today. Most commonly, in almost anyone you sit down with and you say, why did you get sober? It's going to be one of two reasons. It's either going to be pain or consequences. It's the pain of staying the same. Can't stand it. Can't stand myself. I feel so sad and miserable that I'm motivated to do something about it. And then the consequences if you decide not to change. So getting a DUI, getting a potential divorce if you don't get sober, um, just kind of all those different consequences that someone has in their life. And if you look at anyone in life that's looking to make a great change, it really comes down to are they in pain or are there consequences, especially when you're dealing with alcoholism. So I said to Jessica, recovery is a loose garment and everyone has a different fit. And what I meant by that is no one thing looks the same. Everyone's sobriety or recovery or whatever issue someone is going through, whether it be a divorce or grief and loss, it's never the same. And it's really about figuring out what is your fit. Everyone is different and no two alcoholics, drug addicts are the same. I know some people that had a drinking problem at a certain point in their life and they drink today. And there's certain people that had a drinking problem in the past and then they drink today and they can't get out of bed. And so it's really measuring what the risk versus reward is. And, you know, it typically takes an active alcoholic about 25 to 30 years before they really make a decision to get sober. It's, it pretty much runs around that, the research shows. And then if somebody uses drugs like crack or meth or heroin, boy, that that really shortens the time before you start asking for help because you're in such great pain. And nothing is in a box. So there's so many parallels between someone making a decision to stop drinking and somebody making a decision to not eat sweets after 9 p.m. at night. Now, Making a decision to stop drinking if it's a problem is going to cause a great deal more consequences in your life than eating brownies after 9 p.m. But you still have to make a decision. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be open. You have to be willing. You have to be focused on what you want to do. Otherwise, you just simply won't change. So, you know, someone changing their habits in so many ways are so similar to someone making a decision to get sober. First one is completed. I just want to thank Jessica and her team so much for being the first guest on the Coach Mike podcast. Next week, you do not want to miss it. It is Dr. Phil and the people who have been around him for 20 years told me they've never seen or heard some of what he has to say next week, which is so touching. It makes you truly understand why he's perceived as one of the most relatable people in this country. So tune in, subscribe, follow me at Coach Mike Bear on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I do lives, so I do Facebook and Instagram lives where we can interact together or drop me a message with any questions you might have and keep spreading the love because this world needs the light that you're going to shine brighter. Talk to you soon. Thank you.